thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker, Rod Hall. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel Ohio. If you have uh, been here at all when I have filled in for Pastor Kurt, you know one of my favorite things to do is tell embarrassing stories about myself. And tonight's no exception, and I'm going to dig way back into the vault for this one, so I hope you haven't heard it before. Uh, but we're, we're going to kind of theme tonight on this idea of identity, and in particular, uh, how do we identify with Jesus Christ? You know, identity is kind of a big thing these days, how people identify this or that. And so we want to look together about how the, what does the Bible say about how we should identify with Christ. But identity can get us into difficult situations, especially when we uh, maybe mix up identities. And as you heard my story last week, you know what I'm talking about uh, with the, the wedding that I performed. But tonight, we're going to go back about 30 years and... Donna was working at a different hair salon than she is right now, and we were having a surprise party for her at, the, at a uh, restaurant in Belgian Village, Applebee's. And so the ladies at the salon were putting together this surprise party, and of course, I was, they, they let me in on it, and my job was to get Donna there and not to ruin the surprise. Well, that sounds easy, and it should be. So we get to the restaurant, and at first it's just Donna and I, and we're waiting uh, for a table, and this other woman came in through the door, and I did not recognize her, but I thought, well, maybe she's another stylist or another worker at, at the hair salon. And she came over to me and said, are you Rod? And I'm trying to kind of ignore her because... I don't want Donna to get clued in on the fact that all her salon buddies are coming for the surprise party. And so I just kind of, I don't know, grunted or something. It just kind of sidled you know, a little bit away. And she kind of looked at me funny, and I, I'm, I looked at her kind of like, you know. <laughs> well, it turns out <laughs> that she did not say, are you Rod? She said, are you Todd? Because she was there to meet a blind date. <laughs> and it just so happens, now again, this was 30 years ago. Back then, I had the hair and the beard and the physique of the person that she was there to meet. So soon, the other ladies came. Surprise. She said, oh. Then the other guy came, Todd. And she goes, oh, are you Todd? And I, it, it, so it got cleared up, but it was a little bit embarrassing. So identity is important. Knowing who you are and <laughs> knowing who you are not is important. But knowing who Jesus Christ is tops the list of important identities to not mistake. Most people in today's world, at least in the United States of America, have heard the name of Jesus Christ. The problem is, how do they identify with him? And do they know the name, but mistake the identity? So that's what we want to kind of look at together tonight. And we're going to be, most of the time, in the book of Matthew. 
So let me go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer now, then we'll dive into his word. Our Father, I thank you for your leading tonight in our lives. I pray, Lord, and uh, ask that our worship will be pleasing to you. And now, Father, I ask that you would teach us, your Holy Spirit would, would open our hearts, open our ears, instruct us from your word. And if there's anything that I had planned to say that you would not have me say that you would seal up inside of me. Father, help us to look together what your, your scripture says about who Jesus is. There, there's no more important question that anyone can answer than that one. And so lead us tonight, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to spend most of our time tonight, so I invite you to open your Bibles there or click on your digital device, whatever you might be using to keep uh, track here, and we're going to start in verse 13, and we see Jesus is, again, with his disciples. And it says in verse 13, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And so Jesus is in an area that's controlled by the Romans. So there's going to be a lot of Roman identity there. It is also an area that is home to the religious cult of Pan. Pan or Faunus, the Roman name, was a, a Greek god of, of nature and of music, and he, they had a temple there for him. And so it was a place where there could be a lot of confusion about religious items. And so he asks what appears to be a simple question of his disciples. Who do they think I am? And it's the same question that he could ask today of anyone that Jesus would run into. It's just as important today as it was 2,000 years ago. And it's the first point on our outline, so fill this in. Who is Jesus? It's such a basic question. It, 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 but it has so many different answers according to who you might run into and depending on where they are from. But we want to see what the Bible says about who is Jesus. He asked the disciples saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So Jesus uses the term Son of Man, and he's cloaking himself in humility because he is showing that Yes, he is God, but he also has a human side. We know that Jesus Christ is 100% God, and he's 100% man. And so this, this term, son of man, is actually used 80-plus times in the New Testament. And it's the Lord's most common designation of himself. And he uses it, again, as a signal of his humiliation, a sign of his identification with humanity. Well, the question indicates a curiosity about perhaps how effective Jesus' ministry has been. And I don't know if it's more of a rhetorical question or if he's really just wanting the, the disciples to vocalize, to say it out loud, who they really believe he is. We know that nothing is hidden from God. God knows the hearts and minds of people. Were they the same people to identify Jesus as the Son of God? Or did they categorize him in some other way? Jesus says, who do they think I am? And so he wants to get a, a feel, not just for the disciples, but the people that they've been around. You know, we know Jesus has been 
with crowds of thousands of people. And now he's in this area where there is this cultic following of Pan. And so Jesus is wanting to know, what do the people here think about me? Well, what do the people in America think about Jesus? Well, like I said before, 92% of adults say that Jesus Christ was a real person. He actually walked the earth. That's, that's the United States. They believe that there was a man named Jesus. 87%, however, of millennials agree that Jesus was a real person. And the trend that we're seeing in, across America is the younger the generation, the more doubt there is, not only about the, the, the identity of Jesus and was he real or not, but about what the Bible has to say about him. A 2020 survey reveals that 52% of American adults believe that Jesus was a great teacher and nothing more. Over half of the adults surveyed believe that about him. And surveys find that the younger the American, the less likely they are to believe that Jesus was God. It's no big surprise that most Americans reject the deity of Christ. But what I found was really tragic is when they started specifying their, their surveys to evangelical Christians. 30%, one out of three people who identify as evangelicals agree that Jesus was merely a great teacher. Almost one out of three evangelical Christians that were surveyed did not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. And even though 66% of American evangelicals do believe Jesus was God, 65% still agree with this seemingly contradictory statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. So clearly, there is great confusion in America and among American evangelicals about the identity of Jesus Christ. A little more than half of Americans agree that while he lived on earth, Jesus Christ was human and committed sins like other people. Only 46% disagree and believe that Jesus never sinned. So, there's some scary statistics, some eye-opening statistics. It gives us pause to think about our climate, our, our Christian culture in America. We know that we stopped being a Christian nation a long time ago, but what's going on inside the evangelical part of America? We need to get straight this identity of Jesus Christ. The most important question that we can answer tonight is do I believe that Jesus is God and have I received him as my Lord and Savior? Now, you might be saying, Rod, that's, that's Church 101. Well, a lot of people are failing Church 101. And so we need to know in our heart of hearts, what do we believe about Jesus? And what are we going to do about that belief? Well, let's go on here and look at the next verse in Matthew. Matthew 16, 14. And they said, now this is the disciples reporting back on what the crowd has been saying about Jesus. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. You know, knowing who Jesus is is very important. 
Our second point is also vital, and that is knowing who Jesus is not. Knowing who Jesus is not. John the Baptist, nope, that's not Jesus. Elijah, nope. Jeremiah, uh uh-uh, that's not Jesus. Another prophet. See, people were way off the mark. Jesus was none of these people. He couldn't be. He was the son of God. We know that prophecies in the Old Testament that point to him are astronomical. It's incredible how accurate the Old Testament is in the prophecies of, of Jesus Christ. You know, John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus. He kind of paved the way in his ministry, and we know that he died. He was beheaded. Uh, King Herod had him killed, okay? And, and maybe perhaps people thought, well, John the Baptist came back to life, and that's who this Jesus character is. And because he came back to life, that's how he's able to do all these miracles. I I don't know. That might be the thinking of why they thought he was John the Baptist. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. And many of the Jews at that time believed that Elijah was going to come back from heaven and and lead them once again. That's why they thought maybe he was Elijah. For whatever reason, it seems like everyone wanted to choose their own Jesus. I want Jesus to be John the Baptist. I want Jesus to be Elijah. I want Jesus to be Jeremiah. And the truth of the matter is, a lot of people today are still choosing their own Jesus. They want to assemble their Savior according to what they need from him instead of who Jesus really is. They want a kind of build-a-bear Jesus where they can pick and choose their favorite messianic accessories. You've probably heard of Build-A-Bear before. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand to see if you've ever been there, but I've been there. I remember Don and I taking our boys when they were very, very young to go there and, you know, build their, their own bear. And in fact, they call it a workshop. They don't call it a store. Build-A-Bear workshops, they got their start back in 1997 in St. Louis. Uh, their founder, Maxine Clark, got the idea for the company uh, while toy shopping with a 10-year-old girl. And that girl suggested that she and Clark could do as good or better in making their own stuffed animals. And so that's kind of what started everything. And it's a very popular place. You know, it's popular because I think the main selling point of these furry critters is that you design your bear the way you want it. It's totally personalized. You have many, many accessories from which to choose, and people like choice. And I submit to you again that in today's culture, people want a build-a-bear Jesus. So they're looking at the different accessories, and they're picking and choosing. and they're like, oh, forgiveness. I, I want that for my build-a-bear Jesus. Mercy. Oh, I definitely want that for my build-a-bear Jesus. Look over here. Here's some grace. I'm going to get that. He's going to look good wearing grace. Uh, oh, here, eternal life. I'm going to get a lot of that. Uh, Accountability, uh, (laughs) don't want any of that. Uh, See, responsibility, nope. There is a ton of sharing your faith with others. That box is still full. It must not be very good stuff. I, I don't want any of that. And we reverse the concept of being created in God's image to wanting to create Jesus in our image. And so Build-A-Bear Jesus, I'm afraid, has overtaken the mentality of not just nominal Christians, but even some evangelicals. 
So who is this Jesus? Let's take a look and see what Matthew has to say in the next couple of verses. Verses 15 and 16, we read the following. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Our, our next point tonight, fill this in, who Jesus is. That's what Peter just got done exclaiming, who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The, the word Christ is a title. It, it's a Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word for Messiah or anointed one. It signifies the person that God had promised to send to save his people. And Jesus wanted to hear from his own closest followers what they thought about his identity. He spent a little more than three years with them. He's been teaching them. They've been watching him. They know that he healed people. He did all kinds of miracles. And he wanted them to voice it. And voice it they did, especially Peter. And the question I have to ask myself, am, am I as willing and as bold as Peter that if somebody came up to me, whether at my school or maybe out at a sporting event or whatever, and they said to me, yeah, those church people are kind of funny. What, what do you think about this Jesus person? Would I be bold like Peter and make that kind of a statement and 100% affirm that I believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world? Do I readily confess, not, with just, not just with my words, but with my deeds as well? Is it the most important thing that I can share with others? You know, some people can tell you their favorite athlete's statistics going back 20 years. They can tell you how many times they were traded, all kinds of things about how well they hit the ball or made the shot or, or kicked the ball or whatever. And we often get caught up in, in celebrity status, and we know so much about our favorite singer or, again, our favorite athlete or maybe our favorite politician, but do we know Jesus as intimately as we possibly can? And the only way we can do that is by diving into God's Word and being immersed in Scripture. Can I say like the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where we read the following. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. In other words, Paul is saying, look, I didn't come with you flashing my credentials. I didn't come to you showing you my degrees. I didn't come to you with all kinds of letters of recommendation. I didn't come here to show off how smart I am. He says in verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ in him crucified. Is the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified at the top of our list? Is it more important that people know what I believe about Jesus Christ than they do my, my stand on abortion? Is it more important that people know that I believe Jesus Christ came to save the world from their sins than who I'm going to vote for the next election? It better be. That needs to be, I need to be just like Paul, that I know nothing among you except Jesus Christ 
to him crucified. You know, Peter's confession is brief, is to the point, is powerful, it's true, and it's unqualified. He got the question right. And in the midst of people wanting either a dead prophet to come back or perhaps uh, uh, they're worshiping this, uh, this hooved God called Pan, Peter unwaveringly pronounces the correct identity of Jesus. He got the pop quiz right. He got the A. Well, let's continue seeing how Jesus responds to Peter. Verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 17 of Matthew 16. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It's interesting here that he addresses Peter so formally, Simon Barjona. He's identifying Peter with his father, his earthly father, by saying Barjona. But then he goes on to say that flesh and blood, in other words, it's not your dad. Your dad didn't reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. In other words, your heavenly father revealed it to you. And Jesus is obviously well pleased with Peter's response. He's so well pleased with it that he makes a, a direct effort to, to formally address Peter and to formally distinguish between Peter's earthly, fleshly father and his heavenly father. And we see another important lesson in Jesus' response, that it wasn't Peter at all who came up with this answer. He didn't come up with it by himself. It was a divine revelation. God himself planted that seed in Peter. And it says, and we need to remember who we're talking about here. It's Peter. I mean, Peter has no filter. You know, when, when Jesus uh, was talking to him in the upper room and telling the disciples that he was going to be crucified, and Peter was like, no, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. Okay? Or when uh, Peter was sitting around the, the fire uh, during Jesus' trial, and he betrays Christ three different times. You know, Peter just, he gets, he makes a lot of mistakes. Even later on, we see that Paul had to confront Peter to his face because Peter was showing favoritism to a certain group of believers. So Peter gets it right here. He says the right thing, and what Jesus is telling us is that it's not just Peter's opinion. It's not just what some person came up with. It's not what some theologian wrote down. It is truth. It is not a gray area. It is black and white. You choose Jesus or you don't. And we are promised that same help when we find ourselves in a position where we can witness to someone. Look what it says in John 15, verses 26 to 27. But when the helper comes, now the helper is the Holy Spirit. The word that they use for helper is paraclete. Paraclete means the one that comes along beside. So when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And so we see that Jesus is saying, look, the Holy Spirit is going to help you. If you're willing to open yourself up and say, God, use me, and you're praying for someone that you know needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and you have that opportunity where you can witness with that person, the Holy Spirit is not going to leave you floundering. He is going to bring back to your memory the things that you need to share. 
Look what Paul says in Galatians 1, 15 and 16. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. What Paul is saying here is, look, God, he, he chose me before I was even born. He set aside specific works that he wanted me to do. He revealed his son to me. And why did God reveal his son to him? So that he could preach among the Gentiles. And he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. In other words, he didn't go take a poll. He, he, he didn't go ask people, hey, should I do this? Should I not do this? He knew that God had charged him with, with taking the good news to the Gentiles, and he did exactly that. We don't have to be nervous about sharing our faith. We don't have to be nervous about choosing the right words. We don't have to be nervous about getting things wrong or getting things right. When the Holy Spirit comes along beside us, as we read earlier, he is going to guide us through. He is going to give us what we need to say. We just need to yield to the Spirit's leading when it comes to talking to other people about the identity of Jesus. Well, let's continue looking at how Jesus uh, addresses Peter here. Let's go on to verse 18, Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus here gives Peter and the other disciples, and really all of us here, a little bit of a pep talk. Okay, he's saying in essence that he was going to build his church on the apostles. They would be the ones responsible for telling others the message of who Jesus was. They would be the ones to record it in Scripture. They would be the ones to establish a church uh, throughout the world. And likewise, everything that we do today springs forth from the work that these apostles did. They were faithful men of God who spent a few years with Jesus. They were commissioned by Christ and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is still using his followers today. You and I have a mission. The question is, are we going to be willing, like these disciples, to move forward? The promise that not even the gates of hell can stand against really is, is a great comfort from God. They, cannot, they will not prevail against God's church. In other words, nothing that Satan throws at us it doesn't matter if it's insults from people, rejection from people, uh, threats of violence from people. Nothing that Satan throws at us, not even the threat of death, can keep the church from completing its mission. We have a mission. It will be completed. The question is, are we going to be on the sideline or are we going to be in the game like, the, like these disciples were? Well, Jesus goes on to say to Peter in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Our last point tonight, fill this in. Jesus' identity is key. Jesus' identity is key. And I think that to, to better understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to look at Luke 11.52 for a second. Now, Luke 11.52 follows a long passage where Jesus first was talking to the Pharisees, 
and he's giving the Pharisees a verbal beatdown. And then one of these lawyer scribes comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, you're hurting our feelings. You know, and, and, and Jesus, oh, you think I'm hurting your feelings then? Just wait till you hear what I have to say to you next. And we read here in verse 52, where he says, Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So when he says you've taken away the key of knowledge, what he's saying is that these lawyers, these scribes, all they did was study the law, and, and they took the law, and they tried to apply it in their own interpretation in such a way that it made it impossible for anybody to keep the law. And in doing so, people gave up. People got discouraged. And Jesus is saying, look, you've taken away a key of knowledge. You don't have any interest in, in entering the kingdom of heaven, and now you have hindered those who were wanting to enter. Their approach to Scripture was making it impossible for people who were being taught to accept the truth about the good news of Jesus Christ because of the legalism that these lawyers, these scribes, these Pharisees were, were putting in place through their teachings. And Peter, on the other hand, by his declaration of Jesus being the Christ, he had received direct revelation from God, and inasmuch he received the keys that Jesus is talking about. The keys of the kingdom of heaven refers to clear teaching about the identity of Jesus and the good news of God's heavenly kingdom. And in the book of Acts, we see Peter and other disciples taking these keys and opening many locked doors for people who were hungry and thirsty to know about Jesus. Acts 2:38 and verse 41, we read the following. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right there is the key. That's the key that Jesus is talking about. That's the key that's going to loose these people from the bounds that Satan and that these other religious leaders had put them in. And then he goes on to say in verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. How exciting it must have been to see 3,000 people come to the point in their lives where they recognize their need for a Savior, they recognize a need to repent, they realize that Jesus Christ was the answer to all their problems, that Jesus Christ was going to give them a new identity, and that they were going to have a new citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. 3,000 people. Do you think there are 3,000 people in Minerva that need to, to know about Jesus? Do you think there are 3,000 people in Alliance? 3,000 people in Malvern, in Louisville, in Carrollton, in Canton? I, I would say the number is tens of thousands. We don't have to think about competing with other churches. We just have to go out and be on mission, and to start seeing the great harvest that Peter and these other disciples saw because they had the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Well, Jesus kind of wraps up this discussion with the disciples 
in what might seem like a, a strange command here at the end. Verse 20, he says, he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Well, why was this? Well, because the people at the time were looking for a Messiah that was an earthly Messiah. They wanted a Messiah that was going to break the control that Rome had over them. They were not thinking about a Messiah that was a, a heavenly Messiah who was going to break the control of sin, who was going to uh, grant, you know, grant into their lives the ability to have eternal life. And so Jesus is like, just hold on to this. When I go back to my Father, when I ascend into heaven, that's when you can start telling people the truth about who I am. And he had his disciples wait until his work was accomplished, and then again, out came the keys. Peter and the other disciples started a movement led by the Holy Spirit that is still going on today. You know, I've got a lot of keys at my house. Uh, we have these monkey tails that hold them when you come in the front door. I've got some keys on there. I have no idea what they go to, and I'm just too lazy to go through and, and sort them. But I do know this, that, that Jesus Christ has given us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The question is, are we just going to hang them on that monkey tail and let them go until we forget about them? Or are we going to take those keys and do what God has planned for us to do with them from the very beginning? And that is to tell people how to identify with Jesus Christ, Jesus' real identity, and how he came to be our Savior. So as we kind of wrap things up tonight, the question I ask you again is, how do we identify with Jesus? How do we look at him? What, what do we picture in our mind when we talk about Jesus, when we think about Jesus? Do we want to make ourselves a savior in our image? You know, there are times that, you know, I look at Jesus and, you know, I'm guilty of this. Jesus, I want you to be my ATM, you know. Jesus, I want you to be my great physician. Heal me. You know, Jesus, I want this. And Jesus, I want that. And what I really need to focus on is the fact that Jesus is God and that Jesus has what's best for me in his mind if I am willing to take a knee and yield my will to his. Are we willing to bow our knee and our will to the one who created us in his image, to the one who came to earth to be sacrificed for our sins, to the one who is coming back someday to take his church back with him and to spend eternity with him in heaven. If you know Jesus as he truly is, the Son of God and the Savior of mankind, I want to challenge you to take those keys of the kingdom, those same keys that he gave to Peter and the other disciples, and go and loosen those who are bound by all kinds of things that bind us in our culture today. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.